It is my honor and privilege to continue on this part three. Um, we have been talking about the pursuit of God. Um, and we've been in Genesis for two weeks. We've talked about the covenant, um, how God chose Abraham. He chose the Israelites. And then they went ahead and had some babies, as promised. And then there's a whole lot of drama. So if any of you guys have read Genesis, you know there's a whole lot more drama. Um, I get to preach today on Exodus through Deuteronomy. So that's four books in total. And it's a journey. So preparing for this has been a journey. Um, and the theme today is going to be, what does it look like if God has pursued you and invited you to pursue him? What is this? journey of relationship with God now look like, okay? I used to not really care that much about carry-on luggage because you can't fit a whole lot, right? And what's the thing about carry-on luggage, too, is you really have to think through your toiletries because there's that 100 mil, is it 100 milliliters or three ounces or something like that. I always have to look it up. So, I can't just like go through my washroom and put them in. So I have to kind of really think through what goes in here because it's smaller, right? Um, but if any of you, oops, has ever relied on check-in luggage and had it not show up, can I see a show of hands? Is, who here has ever had your luggage not show up where it was supposed to? You can't figure out why because they put a ticket, right? They, a sticker on your luggage, so it's supposed to go on the plane that you go on, but then it just ends up not where it's supposed to be. So if you can't read that, it says, ideally, I'd like a ticket to wherever my luggage is going. Okay, so why, why are we talking about this? Well, part of the covenant with Abraham, well, what do we know? Okay, he was promised three things. He was promised his descendants would multiply like the stars, and he had no children yet. Okay, so descendants was one of the things. The other thing was that, um, well, maybe the first thing is that God will be with them. They are God's chosen people, and so they'll multiply and they'll fill the earth. But then also that they were promised this land called Canaan. There was a promised land. He said, God told him, look at all this. This is going to be yours. But in the book of Exodus, where we're going to start off, they're not in Canaan. Am I even saying it right? Canaan? Canaan? Okay. They are in Egypt. Okay? So they're not, if the people of God are luggage, they didn't end up where God actually sent them to be. Okay? So we're going to start there. And a lot of the story we're actually going to go pretty fast through. Okay? So don't be intimidated. You are going to get a class today on Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, okay? But it will be very, very, very condensed, okay? So just so you know, we were supposed to be in canon, but I'm going to just let you know why we're where we are, and then we're going to read the passage, okay? So there's Adam and Eve, and then we have Cain, Cain and Abel, who are Adam and Eve's wait, children, yes, okay? And some sin stuff happened there, like a murder, okay? Then we have Noah's Ark and the flood, okay? So sin stuff that multiplied, 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 because people lived like 900 years, remember? Um, Pastor Jimmy shared with us. So he had to wipe everything out, saved through the flood. But then there was still the Tower of Babel. We didn't learn. We didn't really get better. So God's new plan, which was probably his plan all along, was to have a chosen covenant people. This is where you get Abraham, and then Isaac is the promised son that he did eventually have at like 100, okay? And then Jacob. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you are a believer or thinking of becoming a believer, then you, we are joining this family, and these are our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So think of it, if you married into a family, you kind of have to find out who are the parents at least. But maybe you have to find out who are your grandparents-in-law and however, I don't know, however far you want to trace it, okay? But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, which included Joseph, which I think he gets preached on a lot, right? Joseph is why we are in Egypt, 
okay? But God's people were saved through Joseph in Egypt from famine. So it was actually a good thing that they ended up here, okay? But now let's open an Exodus together and see what happens. So let's rise and let's read together. Okay. So these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Sounds pretty good so far, right? Okay. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, it gets even worse than this. So, because the Israelites, they just keep growing and grow, multiplying, having lots of strong babies, okay? Um, that at the end of chapter one, the king of Egypt decided, you know what, we're just going to kill off all the baby boys. And his first plan didn't even work, right? But, so that was his plan. And in that time, there is one baby that gets saved. Most of you have probably heard of his name before. But one baby, one mom knew this baby you know, God needs me to keep this one. And she floated him down in a basket, down the river, and the daughter of Pharaoh actually found him, and he got raised in the palace. Who is this person? Moses, right? So most of us know about this person because this person's life is like filled with the miraculous. But one thing we need to keep in mind is, you know, the, the perspective of this journey with God is not, what do, what do we say? Sometimes you think, oh, I get to go on this journey with the God of the universe, and now everything is going to be taken care of. You might be thinking all-inclusive cruise around the world or something like that, right? But there are those of us who understand, oh, we actually would rather go camping or go on the West Coast, what was it? West Coast, not Express, West Coast Trail, where you're like totally roughing it, right? Why do people like to do that? I don't know. Okay? But, but there is something about our human nature. There's adventure. There's hard, hardship in life is not always what it seems, right? Hardship is not actually always a bad thing. Blessing is also not always a great thing because what, what is happening? The reason the people are in um, Egypt in the first place was a blessing. They got saved from famine. And then for them to multiply greatly, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Great thing. It's a great thing, and it's a fulfilled promise. But the result of that, that's the exact reason why then the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, was like, we got to do something about these people. right? So sometimes the blessing is, becomes the problem or becomes the reason for the challenge. But now this challenge is going be, to become the reason why God is now justified to do what he needs to do to deliver them from Pharaoh. Amen? Okay, so there's something about this journey with God that is a little bit more like the West Coast Trail than an all-inclusive resort, okay? Not that there aren't places for, I think heaven might be a little bit more like the resort. I don't know, but maybe by then we'll be bored, okay? So we don't know all those things, but there's something about this we need to know. We need to know what the journey is like. And we need to know that these bumps in the road, like my, my son likes to call, well, he likes to tell me there's lots of bumps in his life, like school. 
or when he has to stop playing video games to take a bath, right? Like all these bumps in the road, okay? But God knew. He actually knew. Because in Genesis 15, there was already this clause. So I'm just going to read it to you so you, you get it. That here he, he put Abraham into this deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. That's for Abraham, okay? So it doesn't actually impact him. But in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So there's something about God's plans that are way bigger than any of our single lifetimes. And his, his thoughts, his perspective, it's way higher. We know, right? God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we can't always interpret the times or interpret the events of our lives just at face value the way we would in our lifetime and the way we interpret things in North America. D does that make sense? There's something bigger going on. And it's actually the bigger truth. And God's plans are not being thwarted. He's accounted for it. Okay? And John 16, 33. Oh. I didn't put it in here. But we know this one. That's where Jesus is telling his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? If any of you out there who are thinking, I want to get married because it's super convenient and will make my life easier, or anyone is thinking, I want to have a baby because I just need someone to hold, but I want a baby that never cries and never needs a diaper change, it's just not going to happen. That's not life, right? Okay. <laughs> If you want to follow Jesus, it is not going to be a walk in the park all the time. But there will be lots of sweet, intimate moments that make you more Christ-like than you ever thought that you could become. Okay? Okay. So, here's the, this is just a quick run through Exodus. I really want to, if you like, like narrative, you like story, Exodus is great until you get to the middle. Okay? Just read the first part. Okay? So, Moses... He's saved from genocide of, as, oh, from a genocide of Israelite boys' babies in Egypt. All the boys were being killed, okay? That's miracle number one. Somehow, this baby gets saved, okay? Moses kills an Egyptian trying to be the hero himself, but the murder is discovered by Pharaoh, so Moses has to flee to the desert, okay? Some of, most of you know this. Some of us don't. Then Moses gets married in the desert to a woman named Zipporah, has a son named Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. The truth is he already was an alien in a foreign land, but he was being raised in Pharaoh's palace, so he didn't know. Okay? He already was one. Now he understands experience of it. Okay? He stays there until Pharaoh dies. Then what happens? Moses actually gets met by God in a burning bush, a bush that's on fire, but it's not actually burning. But we call it the burning bush, because it's, right? So huge supernatural intervention. God encounters Moses. Moses is now called and commissioned, and then he gets sent back to Egypt to deliver God's people, not on his strength. He's not even confident now to speak, right, himself. Not on his strength, but on God's strength. But note this. It's very clear this is a supernatural intervention. You'll see when he first goes to talk to Pharaoh, what happens? Does Pharaoh let the people go? No. He actually works the Israelites harder and starts having the, like, the leaders whipped or whatever because now he said you have to make the same number of bricks but without straw. Right? So the people are like, what, is, what kind of deliverance is this? Right? Okay? So... All that happens, and then we get those famous ten plagues um, because Pharaoh will not let God's people go. But he will because God has his plan. Um, recently, I saw pictures in the news of all these locusts, swarms. I don't know if you've seen them in Africa. 
Um, and I just, I used to read through, through these 10 plagues and I think in my North American Midwest experience, I'm like, I don't know what these things are, right? I'm like, but these locusts, like they, the swarms of them, they like eat their body weight every day. And it's like, it could fill like this room. So basically like all the food would be gone in one day. So all these plagues that come, um, and it still ta it takes all 10 until Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. He's just so frustrated. But even then, he chases the people down. So what do we have? Parting of the Red Sea. So you guys, you, we, I think sometimes we, we know all these things, so we just go through them so fast. Um, but this is why I like to sometimes take that time and watch movies about Moses. Um, they're not all... I don't think there will ever be any movie that is like 100% accurate. And even if you, if you read through Exodus, you can imagine it, but even then, right? But sometimes we need to get out of our everyday and actually really whatever you need to do to visualize that, how big, how great God was to intervene, okay? So then they travel in the desert, and God is actually leading them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There's no question that God is with them and no question that God is leading them, okay? Um, he provides water when it's bitter or there is no water because it's the desert. He provides manna, which is, what is this? That bread that fell out of the sky. And he provided quail, okay? And then the biggest, well, maybe legacy that then we've got are the Ten Commandments, okay? So these are like, that is... Exodus. There's so much there, okay? All these things, too. Just imagine if you were one of the Israelites, you saw all these happen. Who of you would question who is the most powerful, right? Who of you would wonder, oh, is God big, right? We, we, sometimes we think if we just saw these things, if we saw God do these great things, then we would have a perfect relationship with God. But that's not what happened, okay? So the Israelites, as relentless as God is in pursuing the Israelites, in loving them, in bringing them to the promised land, the Israelites are relentless in their rebellious hearts, grumbling, complaining, even wishing for their days in Egypt. It got that bad where they were about to stone Moses and Aaron because they wanted to go back to Egypt. They're like, why did you lead us here? And when did they do this? They did this when they were at the cusp at the promised land. Moses sent out some scouts to see. And they're like, yes, it is exactly what, it's flowing with milk and honey. But what else is there? These, who is this? I don't even remember, okay? They're like... Star-Lord, and maybe not dinosaurs, but basically that's how they felt. And where's my person? I'll just put them here. And they said, they looked like grasshoppers to them, and they felt like it too. Okay, so they've seen God do all these huge, miraculous things against Pharaoh, but they see Star-Lord and the T-Rex in their promised land, and they, they looked like grasshoppers to them, and they felt like grasshoppers too. So what did they do? We want to go back to Egypt. Why did you take us out of Egypt in the first place? It was so much better being slaves, right? They didn't want to go to the promised land. So then could God still give them the promised land? Like, have you ever wanted to really give, like, a great gift to someone, but they were so mad at you or so, like, lost in themselves or whatever that they're, like, angry at? It happens when Valentine's Day, my husband's not allowed to give me flowers unless I say you can give me flowers. Or at least I don't say don't get me flowers, okay? Because <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very emotionally, like... You know, he's very steady. So I'm just trying to help him know, okay, there's no way for him to know what reaction he'll get from me. So I just have to let him know. Not a year to get me flowers, okay? This year I didn't say anything, so he ordered them, and he's like, oh, I guess they're just for me then, but himself. <laughs> no. 
but I, I actually really like them. I put them in a vase on my table because I didn't tell him no. I said, it's okay. Okay. So you can't give a gift to somebody who doesn't want it. You know what I mean? It's like it could be the best gift in the world, but if they're not in a place of being able to receive it, it's just not going to work. Got it? God so wants to give people, his people, the promised land. But this generation reached such a place. There's, no, there's really nothing else he could show them. He's shown them it all. They're show, shown it all. He's shown all his cards. But because they just, they're just so stuck, maybe it's slavery mentality, right? Because they're so used to be, so used to the, like, rug being pulled out. Oh, sorry. Rug being pulled out from under them. So they didn't need just to be delivered from Egypt. They needed to be delivered from their hearts, right? So, you know, in God's, God's wisdom, God's patience, that you're still going to go to the promised land, but not this generation, right? We're, you're just going to now wander. So I'll show you what happens. Okay? So they're going this path. There's a few different maps, but this one illustrates the point, okay? So they, they cross the Red Sea, see down here? And then they're here, Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments. And then there's all this craziness <laughs> because they're there for 40 years. But really, they're trying to go to Jericho. Really, they could have just gone, but they can't. They need to do this. But God is still going to be with them. He's going to stay with them, okay? So this is what happens. This is why we need to be delivered by God. But sometimes that's not it, okay? Okay, so just a little bit of, like within five minutes, I, I will have taken you through the Pentateuch, okay? The Pentateuch are five books, Penta, five, okay? Or five scrolls. It's attributed to Moses. Authorship in the Bible does not necessarily mean like I sat down and wrote everything, but it would be like, you know, you would understand it's all the things that I would have put in that book, okay? But these are all attributed to Moses, who God spoke to face to face, okay? They're referred to in the New Testament as the law. Whenever you hear um, Jesus or anyone refer to the law and the prophets. And um, back in the day, I believe, maybe it's still the case now, if you were going to become a Pharisee as a Jew, then by the age 12, you would have the Pentateuch memorized, like word for word. You would just know it, okay? So it has Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which Jimmy alluded to before. Okay. Genesis, you've got creation and fall, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph. We kind of went through all of that. It's all story, all great, but there's a lot of drama, so don't read it to your children without first reading it, okay? Exodus is the going out, the exit from Egypt. Moses delivers the Israelites from Egypt, and then you've got the Ten Commandments, and then there's all these chapters on building the tabernacle, okay? So really, it's all narrative. If you want to take, or we'll make the slides available somehow. If you just want to read story, then you just read those chapters, you see? The only exceptions is instructions on how to build the tabernacle, which is how God is going to travel with them, okay? And then chapters 35 to 39 is the construction of the tabernacle and its furnishings, which will look like it's just a repeat of the instructions because by that time, the Israelites realized we better just listen to God and do it how he says, okay? <laughs> they don't want something to happen. Okay, Leviticus, Levites. You guys know what Levites are? Okay, so it pertains to the Levites. The Levites are the people who were set aside to take care of the tabernacle, take care of the temple. Okay, so these are all the laws that they're now in charge of teaching everybody and of, you know, making sure that people know what they can do to keep relating well to God. There's holiness before God and love of neighbor, priestly duties of Levites, sacrifices, and ritual cleanness. All things you may find kind of boring, all you need to know, though, is those are precursors before we've had the ultimate sacrifice take place. Okay, so you can kind of keep that in mind. If you just want story, you read chapters 8 to 10 and chapter 24, okay? And you'll catch the bits of story. Numbers, this is the Israelites' 40 years. Remember when they were wandering? 
that scribble, okay? So numbers is showing, basically, they're wandering in 40 years in the desert from Mount Sinai to the plains of Moab, okay? God is still keeping track of all of them. He's obviously displeased because he did all this, like, huge miraculous stuff, and they still complained and grumbled and still did not believe and still felt like grasshoppers as if that mattered, right? So he's still keeping track of them. He's going to make sure he doesn't lose any of his flock, even though it's not going to be until the second generation that gets to go, okay? Now, in Deuteronomy, these are the final weeks of the, in the Jordan, east of the Jordan, so in that squiggly part. So basically, they're getting ready. This new generation is ready. They're at the cusp to go to the promised land. And then we'll learn about that next week, okay? So, but you're going to see in Deuteronomy a whole lot of repetitiveness. You're going to wonder, didn't I read this already? The reason is because, so imagine, um, like, we know all the history and there's, of this church, and then there's some people that came kind of after some of our drama. So we would probably have to retell it to you again, right? Or you know all of your parents' history. Your children reach a certain age, coming of age. They will want to know it. You're going to have to retell it again. Okay, so that's what's happening. There's a restatement of the covenant of what happened to us from the beginning to here and what you need to know about this covenant we've got with God, the creator of the world, and what you need to know so you can follow it. Okay, so they're passing it on. Okay, got it? So we all know the Pentateuch now. You can read it or you, you don't need to. Okay. <clears throat> now, the journey of deliverance in the pursuit of God. So there are three themes I want to touch on today. Um, we're obviously not going to read, we can't read it all, but one thing that kept coming up is what I think our most important need is for the journey. So if you've got only a carry-on for this journey with God, what do you need in it, okay? Second thing is God's most important desire for the journey. What does he want? What is he after? He's, he is trying to deliver them right, to Canaan, or this, this guy, but what, or girl, okay, what, what does he want? What's his desire? And then three, the ultimate provision of God's deliverance in our journey, so we know he actually did it, okay? So our most important need for the journey, I'm going to say, is God's presence, okay? Because God is bigger than them, In fact, he's biggest. He's all, all of the things going on. Okay, I'm going to need someone to help me open. Ivan, can you? <sighs> okay. All of these um, things that the Israelites were up against or that we come up against, right? These are the guys in the promised land. Pharaoh, I think, was, if this is like what they see in the promised land, it's interesting because I feel like Pharaoh was like this. But they forgot, Okay. Meet Ellie, okay, representing God. So, they are grasshoppers, but this is God. And God loves, imagine a hug, God loves us, okay? So, what do we need to bring? We need God's presence, okay? There is a point where they're in the desert, and God is just so fed up with them. Okay, he's like, they just never learn. Let me find this. Okay, so in Exodus 32 to 33. And so the Lord is telling Moses, okay, just leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, and Perizzites. Hivites and Jebusites, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way, okay? So let me show you. So let's say the Israelites are like, like little twos, okay? God didn't choose them because they were big people. He just chose them because they're the ones I'm choosing, okay? And then you've got Pharaoh, 
or whoever, okay? You've got all these big people and giants and everything we're scared of and taxes and what, I don't know. What are we scared of, okay? And so God is saying, I'm not going to go anymore, but I promise to you, so I'm going to give it to you. So I'll just, you know, here's some angels I'll send ahead of you. So you can win. You get the aces. Just go without me. But Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. We need to bring God with us. We need to care about him more than the ace cards because this will win the game, maybe the battle. But then what? We need to have God in our lives. It's like you can win the battle in a relationship and lose the person. So what do you end up with? Maybe you got the house and the car, but now you don't have the relationship. Did you win? Right? Sometimes I think in our crazy world of competitiveness and um, materialism, we forget. We forget what the more important thing is. We need God's presence. Okay? God also, he sees and he hears and he hears our struggles and he cares. When the Israelites first found out, when Moses came back and told them, God sees and hears your struggles and he cares, they worshipped him. Okay? But sometimes his care and his deliverance aren't going to feel to us like care. Um, some of you might know Joyce and Paul Lee. They used to come to our church. They have a son named Pierce. And they posted this um, a couple weeks ago. And um, I got permission to share. Okay? So Pierce, he's maybe this high, fell and hurt his elbow. Was at the hospital from 7 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. Both Paul and Pierce were cranky. Pierce just wanted to go home even though he could not lift his arm. In the end, the doctor just popped it back in a few seconds after seven hours of waiting. Then Pierce enjoyed his popsicle and moved on. So we were talking about it today and he told me the doctor hurt him when the doctor popped his elbow back in place. Then I told him, no, actually your pulled elbow hurt you, not the doctor. The doctor needed to fix it so it doesn't hurt anymore. And then I got a revelation. When God tries to heal us from our hurt, it is painful. But God wasn't the one causing the pain. Our hurt is reacting, so we feel pain. After God's work is done, then we won't feel pain anymore. Many times we tell God not to touch it. But after he snaps things back to normal, the pain actually will be gone. Amen? Okay? It doesn't always feel like the care that we thought. But we can trust him. We can trust he knows what he's doing. Okay, the third thing about God's presence, though, is that he is holy. That's why he's saying, if I go with you, and this continues as it is, you know, this back and forth, back and forth, grumbling, complaining, I'm going to end up destroying you. So God has to find a way. Well, he can't change the fact that he's holy. I'm thankful he will never change the fact that he's holy. Amen? God will not change with the times. He is who he is. He knows what is right. He is right. And he chooses to help us to know how to participate in that, how to survive. So when, let me see if I can find this, he first gave them the Ten Commandments. This is actually referred in the Bible sometimes as the first grace of God. Because people back then, well, especially the Israelites, because they're so small, right? They're really, really, really reliant on God being on their side. Amen? You got that? They need him to be. Otherwise, they really are the little guy. They're going to get squashed. Okay? But God is telling them, you know, you don't need to guess at how to love me and how to keep me pleased. I'm just going to tell you. And you know what? I did give you pages and pages of how to build this, how to build that, what to do when, I don't know, he even talks about like uncleanness, which is like your period, right? He tells you all these things you're supposed to do, but they're just regulations for living back then, okay? Um, but it's all summarized. Ten commandments, that's it. This is what I require of you. 
You can memorize it. Children can memorize it. He didn't mean this to be a big burden. He just meant it to be, this is so you know now. It's not a secret. What's right? What's good? How do you love me properly? And how do you love one another? Okay? Um, we won't review them. But in the New Testament, it gets, I don't want to say dumbed down, but summarized even more into two. All it is is two. It's just love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets. So law, again, is the Pentateuch. Prophets is all the rest, okay, of the Old Testament. All of it hangs on these two commandments. Simple, nothing is unreasonable. I think don't... I don't know, don't murder. I think that one's pretty straightforward, right? Okay? Um, and yet, God knows how hard it is for us as human beings to carry it out. We cannot do this perfectly, okay? We just can't. So what does he most want from us? I think based on Moses, how did he choose Moses? What did he want to do with Moses? Why Moses had to be... When, be so after he was trying to deliver the people himself and ended up killing because strength, using our strength to win means we have to destroy the other person, okay? So he wants, I believe he wants the hearts. He's after our hearts. Same thing with the Israelites. He wants to provide for them. He wants to give them the promised land. He just wants them to, it's not even that they're not allowed to, when they um, grumble, groan. When God hears their groans, he responds. So he's not like needing them to pretend to be happy all the time. But he doesn't want them to grumble against him as though God himself is their enemy. As though God himself has not been the one that's trying to bless, bless them, right? With my children, I've already let my, especially my first one, I, I remind her over and over again, I've let the secret out that I actually care about her being happy. I let her know. I care about her having lots of friends. And I care about her finding, like, being able to pursue the life of her dreams or the, the deepest desires of her heart. So I have let her know, I am never going to use what you most hold dear against you. It will never be your consequence. Because I'm actually, I actually want to be the person you go to for help to go figure out how to navigate this crazy life, to get those things. I will also never use time with friends, anything that will build up your friendships, as a consequence. Because I actually want you to have friends. I wanted a van because even though I only have, there's five of us, but I expect them to have friends that come in the van too. You know, like, so I've let them know the secret is out. I want to be on their side. But if they're rebelling, rebelling, you know, like, then it's not responsible for me to then just kind of pour everything out, right? I have to figure out a way to give them the most important thing is a shalom in her heart and a trusting relationship with me, right? But I'm, I let her know. God has let us know. He loves us so much. He did what he had to do so that he also... Like, he, he loved us so much, that's why he gave up his one and only son. Because it was the only way. That he's never going to let, we can never mess up so much that he's, that now what you care about doesn't matter to him anymore. Do you get that? Because he created you, right? He fathers us in that way. He, he's like, he's trying to figure out how to get our hearts on his side, believing him correctly, understanding the most important thing in our lives is to have that relationship with God, right? And, and he can't change that he's holy, so who needs to change? We need to change, but we can't do it ourselves. So what does he do? He sends Holy Spirit to fill us, right? So we don't even have to do it ourselves. We just have to trust him. We just have to trust him and have a softened heart towards him, okay? Pharaoh's hardened heart, when Moses and Aaron first approached him, all they're saying is let my people go so they can 
go worship me in the desert. And the Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let the Israelites go. I will not let Israel go. Right? Whenever someone is in that place of, I don't know who this God is, so why in the world should I change what I'm doing to match what he's doing? But if you do know, what God, if you do know who the Lord is, and you give him a chance to speak to your heart, to reveal himself to you, you will find, you know, he, he just wants to woo us, right? He's not asking you, just follow the Ten Commandments so that you have no idea who I am or that I love you so much, but just do it so you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. He, that's not what he's about. He's just trying to draw us to him. He created us to be relational. He created us to want to be loved, to need to be loved, but we need to be loved by the God of the universe who is big enough to keep us safe, right? And is big enough from the beginning to the end of time to know exactly who we are and what we need. So ultimate provision. Oh, hard hearts. Yeah, Hebrews says, today, if Holy Spirit says, you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We want to have soft hearts. Okay, now, the ultimate provision of God's deliverance in our journey is Jesus, okay? We know this now. They didn't know it then, but they had that sense that we can really only be delivered with God's presence. There is this understanding that Moses had that now we don't just need to have it mentally. It's been done, okay? So there's a lot of foreshadowing of Moses and the exodus to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is referred to as leading us in a second exodus. So just real quick, some parallels. Baby boys around his birth were also actually slaughtered. So Joseph and Mary had to take Jesus to Egypt to escape that. So Jesus also spent time in Egypt and then came back, okay? Jesus also spent 40 days in the desert to symbolize the 40 years and in a way to, be, to redeem those 40 years. He did it successfully. Okay, and then Jesus is also raised up on a cross so that people who look at or to him in faith will be healed and saved. Okay, so the one thing we need to know, there was a bronze, there was a time when the Israelites were all um, rebelling in the desert again like they do, okay? And so venomous snakes showed up and started biting people and people were getting sick. So God told Moses, put a bronze snake on a, like a pole that kind of looks like a crucifix, right? And then just tell the people, look at this. If you look to this, and then you'll be healed. So the Israelites, they would look at it, and then they would be healed. Now, it makes lots of sense, right? <laughs> but that's, God's, that's how he works sometimes. He just wants them to listen to him. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to provide for you. I'm trying to save you, okay? That was his plan. Why the bronze snake? It didn't really make sense back then, but it's because it alluded to the fact that one day Jesus Christ would be raised on that, on that stick or cross, the crucifix. And anyone who looks to him as the, there's the crucifix, anyone who looks to him will be healed, will be saved. He is our lifeline. He is our connection to God. Okay. So... Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, so Jesus is the new covenant. The original covenant was with Abraham, right? And was to get them to the land of Canaan. And so just so you know, it gets messed up somewhere, and then they don't stay in the promised land. We all know that, I think, okay? So we're waiting, we were, everybody was meant always to be waiting for Jesus who would become the new covenant, okay? Where now we're not looking for the aces. It just came to me yesterday. The game changed from poker. Oh, where is it? 
Oh, it's in my pocket. It's a big two. <laughs> Jesus is a two, which you would have thought, oh, that's like the bottom of the deck, right? But when the game changed to big two, what happened? The last became first. And now this card trumps all of it, right? And then all these twos, if we were twos in society, we became, we became the top of the deck. But the game changed. The covenant changed. So now it's no longer, it's not even about us following the Ten Commandments perfectly. The Ten Commandments are like guidelines for Valentine's Day with God, okay? Like the key to his heart. But now our connection to God is all about looking to Jesus, He's done what he needed to do. He was the ultimate sacrifice. All those, those rituals that were outlined, he took care of it all. We don't need to do it anymore. He's done it. But what do we need? We need to have our hearts be soft. We need to choose to respond, okay? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So he delivered us from the sin that is in our own hearts, from the unbelief that is in our own hearts. He did what he needed to do, so the power is no longer, it's no longer in the enemy's hands. The power now is in God's hands, and he gives it to us through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I just need to encourage us. I want to encourage us to give him more of our hearts. So if you don't yet know him, but he's been back, he's doing something, chipping away. He's, he's doing something, calling you to him because he wants you. Does that mean you wouldn't be here if God did not personally want you, want to have a covenant with you. And those of us who've walked with him, he just wants even more. I feel like even after walking him for, with him for so much of my life, there's still so much more of my heart I see him wanting. Um, I sometimes in my marriage, too, I can tell, I feel like there's conversations, we've been married how long now? 15. <laughs> I don't know exactly, but all I know is, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I do know, I just can't think of it right now on stage, okay? So um, all I know is, like, it's becoming more and more clear. Um, like, when we talk about vacations, he doesn't just want me to be like, oh, it's okay. He actually wants to know what I, if it's a blank slate. What, what, do I, what does my heart really want? I feel like God is, he wants, if, he just wants to get to that place with me where I know I'm not just a number or a pawn. Like, he knows me intimately, and he just wants to know how to love me, how I can love him better, you know? Like, I just feel like there's so, there's so much more until God's presence is, like, with you 24-7, you know, the way that Moses related to God. That's what we want, okay? We are strangers too. First Peter 2, 9 to 12 tells us, we are aliens and strangers in the world. Our real home is heaven. That's our promised land. But we're not there yet because there's a whole lot that God has for us down here. Amen? Who knows what adventure that is? Who knows what he has in store? There's so much he wants to do. There's other people he wants us to get to love, relate to, be loved by. He wants us to go and find people that don't know him yet, and we get to participate in sharing God's heart, sharing God's truth. Like, he loves the world so much, he gave up his one and only son. That's how big his, he's not just big, like big and powerful, but his heart is even bigger. I would say, okay. So um, I will close with Parker Palmer on this journey story. Most of us arrive at a sense of self-invocation only after a long journey through alien lands. But this journey bears no resemblance to the trouble-free travel packages sold by the tourism industry. It is more akin to the ancient tradition of pilgrimage, a transformative journey to a sacred center full of hardships, darkness, and peril. 
In the tradition of pilgrimage, those hardships are not seen as accidental, but as integral to the journey itself. Treacherous terrain, bad weather, taking a fall, getting lost, challenges of that sort, largely beyond our control, can strip the ego of the illusion that it is in charge and make space for true self to emerge. If that happens, the pilgrim has a better chance to find the sacred center he or she seeks. Disabused of our illusions by much travel and travail, we awaken one day to find that the sacred center is here and now, in every moment of the journey, everywhere in the world around us, and deep within our own hearts. I find the more that God strips away me and the illusion that I am somehow in charge or it's somehow on my shoulders to make the big things happen, that I finally get to see and like feel God's embrace of how big, how big and strong he is. You know, so it's not about like getting rid of all that stuff for that like human, humanistic teaching tells you it's about finding who you are. It's, it's more than just finding who you are. It's about finding God, who he is, and then he tells us who we are because now we don't have to try to be God. Does that get it? Do, do you get, yeah? Like, we get how big God is and how big his love is for us. We no longer have to worry about all these things we were never designed to be able to accomplish anyway. We are not designed to be God. We don't need to be. We just need to be who, exactly who God created us to be and just worry about that, okay? So if I can invite up the worship team. We'll close. And I will just pray for us. I just want us to think about where you are in your deliverance story. What kind of journey is yours? Where is God taking you? And where are you in your journey? Can you see how big God is? Can you sense his heart and love for you and find rest in his holy presence? Can you see what God is up to? And can you hear what he is asking of you? Will you soften your heart and trust him? So let's um, close our eyes and let me pray for us. Jesus, um, we thank you that we get to be on a journey with you. We thank you that we can be confident that you have called each and every single one of us yours, that you want us, that you love us, that you make no mistakes. I pray that you would come into our hearts, that you would soften our hearts to you, that we could know you better. And Jesus, whatever giants are in our lands, whatever obstacles we face, whatever fears keep nagging at us, would you show us how much bigger you are than those things and how even bigger your love for us is. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. We pray that you will reveal yourself even more to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.